Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Better Golf Podcast for the Memorial at Mirfield Mirfield Village. With me, as always, Spencer Aguiar at Tee Off Sports. Spencer, how are we doing, man? Doing well. How are you doing this week, Nick? I'm not bad. Actually, it was a very nice Memorial Day weekend. It was like a flat 70 degrees every single day this weekend, so it was beautiful. Got some yard work done without sweating. I think that's kind of an oxymoron, but it happened, so I'll tip my cap to that. Other than that, outside of my CT pan, I, I quote-unquote called it the bomb of the week because he was 2-1. to one. I think that was the highest or the longest shot I had in the top 40 market. He hit. Other than that, kind of a disaster for me. I went all in on Scotty Scheffler on DFS. That hurt. I think I had a lot of Matt Wallace. That hurt. I had a ton of Russell Knox. I'm done with Russell Knox. Let's just get this rant uh, started in the right way. Russell Knox, my model loves him every single week. I don't see the, I mean, he. there is some upside like because he does have top 20 ability, but I'm done with him. I think every single week I play him, he burns me. Um, Harold Varner third though, he did get in the top 40 for me, so think he finished top 40 maybe not actually but uh, he did he did okay he did that's great so I, i'm already all sorts out of whack because just russell knox pissed me off um streelman balled out like he's just been playing so such good golf so i had a lot of him in dfs but it was more like just i was all in on scotty he was like eight percent owned in every tournament like exactly what i wanted that's my low own pivot and with uh high upside no upside at all. So uh, how was your week, though? I'll, I'm going to quit bitching, and we'll move on with the show to someone that had a hell of a weekend in Spencer Aguiar. Well, we'll talk about Russell Knox a little bit later when we get to that top 40 section. I think we'll have some uh, intriguing stuff to say about him. But my week went pretty well. I mean, from a from a DFS perspective, my model was on fire from it. Yeah, like, I, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I season. People, yeah, I had a lot of people write me that, you know, like they had big wins with it and uh you know one of the guys that i had as my my big kind of under the radar play because i mean he was about eight percent owned was jason kokrak and so he was listed as my guy that was one of my favorite gpp targets for the week i had mentioned that i liked pairing him with speed so there was a lot of combinations with kokrak and speed there and then i mean i guess unfortunately i didn't end up getting an outright ticket on him um, I only had Morikawa and Horschel, which was a little disappointing because my model had him inside the top 10 pretty much any way I ran it. I just had a lower exposure week that way with it. And unfortunately, it was a week too late because I was all over Horschel, or I'm sorry, all over Kokrak at the PGA Championship where I had him in the top 40. He blew up there. I had him in an outright at 150 to one. So, you know, that, that was a little bit unfortunate, but I was able to get two units on Kokrak. I, I bet a unit on him on Saturday night. My model had him as the projected winner, even though Spieth had a one-shot lead with it. And I really had no exposure to the tournament to begin with from an outright perspective. So I was able to add a unit on Kokrak to win two there. I went 1-0 on my head-to-heads. Brant Snedeker minus 120 over Phil was a pretty easy win. And then about for the fifth or sixth straight week, like I haven't had massive wins in the top 40 market, but they've been slow, meticulous grinds with it. I, I kind of had a pretty poor distribution of units where I lost my three bigger plays of Snedeker, Damon, and Stewart. But I got it back with Troy Merritt plus 220, Vincent Whaley plus 180. He kept his train rolling there. And then I also hit Harold Varner at plus 138. So I won a quarter of a unit there. At, at the end of the day, I had 5.82 units in play. 
very small week for me, but 2.53 units of profit, 43.5% ROI. I mean, for as small of a week as it was, I'll take those numbers all day. Yeah, hell yeah. It's a grind in this this industry here, and you had a hell of a weekend. So glad that I saw like uh, your write-up. It said Co-Crack, literally favorite GPP play out there. So boom, congrats to you. Let's get right into Mirfield Village in Dublin, Ohio. Bentgrass course, I believe it is going to play right around 7,500 yards, par 72. Top 65 and ties will make the cut. The previous winners, John Rahm last year in 2020, Patrick Cantlay in 2019, Bryson DeChambeau minus 15 under in 2018, Jason Duffner in 2017, good for him, and then William McGirt. So a lot of random winners and then nothing but top-tier players. So first question to you off the bat, is a big dog going to win this tournament or are we going to see someone around the 50 to one or higher, like a William McGirt or Jason Duffner type of winner here? My model for the most part seemed to like all these big guys. And that's what makes it difficult in these weeks where, you know, like if we just run down my model from top to bottom, I mean, Rom's one, Morikawa's two, Xander's three, Ovlin's four, Speeth is five, Rory's six. Like we can go on and on. There's really not that big, that big of discrepancies for me. I mean, I guess you have a couple guys like, Emiliano Grillo, who I don't think is winning the tournament, graded out well for me. We see that on DraftKings. He's going to be popular again. Like, you know, that's that's a discussion to have um, in another conversation with it. But these tournaments that seem to have, like, these high-end guys that seem to be priced correctly, usually the cream does rise to the top with it. So my initial lean would be that you are going to get a winner that's somewhere near the top of the board, and that's where most of my win equity for the week is set up at. As of now, I only have two outrights, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I've had, a, yeah, it's just a hard time, especially when it's like a chalky field like this. There's so many good golfers, and I agree with you. I think it's going to be a cream rise at the top type of week. I just have a hard time punching outrights because I maybe I just really like to stick to that top 40 and kind of stay in my lane, if you will. But for Muirfield Village, what are you really weighing in? So for me, it was kind of shocking how high I rated uh, course history here. So. They'll talk about one guy in the top 40 market that doesn't have any course history here that I do like just based on recent form and overall world golf rankings and just a guy that I've kind of kept an eye on for fantasy golf reasons. I've always been interested in this kid when he was ranked, I believe, the number one amateur in the world last year, the year before that. But my rankings, it's all approach all around the green, and that's pretty much it. And I I just I'm going to keep it as simple as that. That's the weeks. Usually my model does its best. But what are you thinking for this course setup? Yeah, I, I think you're pretty much on the right track with all of that. Like the one thing I would note is, is if we look at this course last year, we got that funky COVID-19 schedule where they played the workday. Morikawa wins that at, I believe, 19 under par. And then the next week we see Rom come out for the actual memorial and win it at nine under par. And, you know, can't if we just look at historical winners before that, most of the winners have ranged between 13 to about 19 under over the last couple of years. So I think if we're looking at what the course did last year, we should be taking that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, I had mentioned it when I when I wrote up this article uh, for this tournament last year. One of the things I had said was when you have two weeks back to back at the same course, you're going to get the first week where they oversaturate all the fairways and the greens. And it's going to be, a you know, an easier test for the players to be able to stick their shots with. Historically, these are very fast greens. So I think when we look at it like that, you know, we should be looking for guys that 
not necessarily that model from the first week. More of these guys that are going to be good long, long iron players, guys that are going to be good around the greens. It's going to be t- tough to stop your shots. And, um, you know, I, I think it feels safe to predict that we're, it's going to be a different test based off of that. So, you know, both the fairways and the greens were replaced right at the conclusion of the vet last year. It's going to be 150 yards longer. Um, golfers hit 8% more fairways here than a typical PGA Tour stop but a high GIR percentage has been hard to come by because of the small greens, as I mentioned. So I kept things rather simplistic also. Like I have seven different things and uh, I also have a little bit more of a weight when it came to course history than I normally do. But the first thing I weighted was I have a weighted ball striking number. So that's just uh, compiled of 50% accuracy, 50% distance. I I do think that these fairways are a little bit more condensed than they are in the past with it. So I think that like accuracy, you could make an argument might be a little bit more important, but from those numbers, I then took uh, the total driving number for 30% and a GIR percentage for 70% to get that number. I have sand saving around the green for 17 and a half percent. I realize that sounds like a lot on the surface, but I don't think it's that much when you look at it as a combination of two stats. If I would have done it 10% each, it would be just something that's minimal with it. When I decided to combine them together, I don't think 17.5% is that much. 60% of that comes from sand saves, 40% from around the green. These are deep and long bunkers. I think it's going to be a little bit more important for guys that can get it up and down. I think if you miss the the greens and you're around the green, like, yeah, it's going to matter, but they're small surfaces. I doubt these guys miss it by that much. It's going to be more complex shots when you're in the bunkers and you get stuck in there. Uh, I have 17.5% for par 5 birdie or better percentage. That's a stat that like anytime you see a par 72 and you have four par fives, that's always going to be a stat. I weigh, you know, 15% to 20% usually with that. So that's kind of just my go-to stat when you get these par 72s. I have weighted proximity from 125 plus yards for 15%. I do think there's an argument to be made that 150 to 200 would be the better range to be looking for, but we still get 33.8% of the shots from 125 to 150 and from 200 plus. So 79.2% of the shots come from above 125 yards. I weighted it as 20% from 125 to 150, 31% from 150 to 175, 29% from 175 to 200, and then 20% from 200 plus. I, I do think that when you look at this course getting extended a little bit, these long irons will be important. They will be harder to score from that range, which is why the 150 to 200 is probably the, the section that is more important that you want to be looking for, but it's weighted that way for me. I mean, 60% of that 100% that I'm putting into it comes from 150 to 200. Um, I have weighted par four at 12.5%. That's 60% from par four average, 20% from birdie or better percentage, 20% from bogey avoidance. I think that's something that I don't necessarily do the best job of sometimes. I always do these courses, and I'm so much looking at guys that are good around the greens, good in bunkers, good in bogey avoidance. And sometimes I forget to look for guys that can score. So I think that 20% I added there for the weighted par four was something that was important. It is going to be a hard course, but some of these holes are gettable. They're not all impossible. Yes, some of them are the most difficult at the course, but I think that these guys that can pick up cheap birdies on these par fours will be important. I have 10% on fast bent putting over the last 50, Um, you know, three putt percentage is probably not relevant on smaller greens. I didn't go for that, but I think the fiery quick nature will benefit good bent putters. I'm not normally one that goes for the bent putting or putting in general, I guess I should say with that, but 
I do think it will matter. And then I did wrap it up with weighted par three scoring for seven and a half percent. I normally don't dip below 10% for any of my weights that I do. And just uh, for full transparency with that, that's 75% par three average, 25% bogey avoidance. And the reason why that's all bogey avoidance and none of that being birdie or better, as I just said with the par four range with that is because four of the toughest eight holes come on the par threes and all range from an 18.6% to 21.7% bogey percentage. So I think we're looking at these guys that can just be consistent on the par threes and not make mistakes. I think that will be important. The guys that can score on the par fives, that's going to be crucial. And the guys that can give you some combination on the par fours is kind of where, I mean, that's the real condensed version of what I'm looking for. But at the end of the day, to kind of summarize it, guys that can score, guys that can, you know, avoid making mistakes, whether that be from bogey avoid and sand save around the green and just good overall ball strikers that hit their long irons well. Well, if that is not the most in-depth course breakdown of Mirfield Village in the industry, I don't know what is. Send us a link if someone goes into it in more depth and more knowledge than at TF Sports. Spencer Aguirre, hell of a breakdown, man. I need to just make my model a little more advanced or just send it to you to be like, all right, man, do some do some work with this because I just keep it so much more simple. And obviously, like you find guys that I would never be on, and I, I greatly appreciate all your insights. So that's a hell of a job. Um all right, question for you. The one thing I want to know, this course has had some variant scores. I think John Rahm was like nine under, right, last year. Do you think the winner goes – it seems like everything on the PGA Tour is playing a lot harder. It seems like it's it's either a just an absolute bomb fest where people are going 25 under like we saw two weeks ago or, or three weeks ago, whatever it was, or everybody's kind of staying in that 10 under range. So what do you think is the winning score this week, over under 13 and a half? Because it's Jack's course, right? And he's going to be pretty pretty mean with it, isn't he? Well, he was last year for sure. I, I Like, if you were to... And he yeah. had to love that. Like, no way. Because, yeah, with the 900, he's like, all right. And I remember them, like, showing on TV. They started ripping the greens out right away. Like, they were making new breaks right after the tournament. Like, he doesn't want people to come in and tear up his course. Yeah, and I think, like, if I would have given a range, it probably would have been 12 under to 15 under. So, I think you're over a under of 13 and a half percent you probably hit it spot on on the head with this uh i mean gun to my head if you made me make a decision with it i'll say 13 or 14 wins it i i guess but um i mean i think you're probably on the safe side looking between between 12 and 15 i'd be shocked if we get to that 10 number i'd be shocked if we got much you know more than 15 so i kind of just think you're looking at a range, and I, and I agree, Jack is not going to want to make it easy on these guys, and it's just going to come down to how difficult that he's actually going to do it. If we dry this out and having, if we have the greens running at a million miles per hour, like, you know, Rom won this at nine under par, and you could make an argument, like, I mean, really, I don't, I forget what Palmer exactly was at, whether he was like five under or six under, whatever the number was with it, but Rom theoretically could have won that tournament at like seven under par, so Rom played some of the best golf I'd ever seen to win it, so... I think that's just such an outlier for it. I think you're going to be looking more in that 12 to 15 under range, which the lower it goes, obviously Rom gets a better chance to win. Like certain guys will get a better opportunity to win where a guy like Rory, you know, he doesn't win tests at less than 12 under par. So, or in single digits. So I think like, depending on how you think it's going to play, will make a big factor for DraftKings and betting in different markets like that. Yeah. He, he beat Palmer by three, Last year, it was nine under, Palmer was six. You got that dead on. 
And it seems like everybody besides Matthew Fitzpatrick went over par on Sunday. So the Sunday pin placements are going to be fun. If it's going to be close on Saturday night, Sunday is going to be a very fun round to watch. I like last year or last week, it's kind of weird to see Jordan Spieth blow it. I would have never thought that would happen, especially I think he had a two stroke lead right early in the day, right off the bat after hole one. I think he had a two stroke lead and to see him lose it like, it was weird to me because I'm a Jordan Spieth guy. I, I love him, especially when he's in Texas. I'm always overweight on him, but I was also overweight on Scotty Scheffler. So I just got to get rid of this in their home state narrative that I seem to tell myself every week is the way to go. But what were your thoughts just real quick on that as a golf viewer of just like a two-man show on Sunday? I personally don't really like that. I always like if there's another couple dark horses in there that are maybe one or two strokes back. But like you knew going into Sunday, it was just Kokrak or it was Spieth, and that was it. Well, I, I will say this. It makes it a better betting board in a weird way when casinos want to put speed at minus 230 and you can get like a plus 200 on Kokrak. And my model, like like I said, my model kind of saw it coming like speed stats did not look very good entering Sunday. And mm-hmm. we saw his game crumble throughout the whole day. He couldn't, he couldn't hit a tee shot. No. No, he yeah. couldn't do anything right with it. And, you know, Kokrak was gaining, like when I was looking at my off the T plus plus approach numbers over the first three days, Kokrak was out gaining him by about seven shots. Even when I looked at it coming in, like Kokrak was top 10 in my model. So I thought it was a really good spot for him to be able to, I mean, run down speed is the wrong way to say it. He started the day one back. He was two back after a, a hole or two, whichever one that he ended up going two down on. It's just speed looked shaky the whole week and it kind of came back to bite him and I think part of that you can say that maybe he's not entirely back on these Sundays like we've seen this a couple times he looked terrible at the waste management like Xander got all the negative from that when Brooks came back but you know if Speed just plays a good round he wins that tournament he was a little shaky at Pebble Beach when Daniel Berger won so yeah he has his win but he's falling apart he even fell apart at the match play if we want to go a step further like I don't know how he lost that match against Kuchar. It's like everything that could have gone wrong seemed to go wrong. So I'm not worried about Spieth, but there's obviously something mental with him right now where he's just not getting over the hump entirely. And when it happens, he may go on a run when he wins like three or four in a row. But it's been surprising to see for a guy that does seem to have it more or less back. Like it's not like his numbers were bad entering Sunday, but when a guy's out gaining you by seven shots, you know, off the T plus approach. I mean, there's definitely a a gap in play level, I guess, if you want to call it that over the first three days. Yeah, I think that's fair. And yeah, I don't know. He just does not seem right on Sundays, like you said, and off the T, it was just horrendous to see, but he is by 0.02 points in my model, the number one golfer for me this week. So I don't know if I'm going to go back to Jordy, but I like him at 16 to one a lot more than I like him at 10 to one going into last week. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and he's number one in my model when I look in terms of safety, which I know I just gave all the reasons for why he can't close on Sunday. <laughs> but the thing is with that, I mean, it's really what it's looking for. It's looking for a guy that can make a cut and it's looking for a guy that's going to be able to perform. And like, according to that, Spieth is the safest guy in my model to like give you a guaranteed weekend. I mean, it doesn't mean that he makes the weekend a hundred percent, but uh, he grades well for me. Like some of that upside, I guess, is being, He's 13th based off of that. And I guess that's probably because he's not closing the show and some of these Sunday rounds are so bad. But top five in my model overall, I mean, there's a lot that it likes about it also with it. And uh, I always like looking for guys for safety if I'm going to start building like cash game lineups and things like that on DraftKings. 
For sure. All right. Well, let's get into top fade of the week. I really didn't have. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to fade Xander, but I think my guy is going to be Patrick Reed. I don't think I'm going to touch this week. Um, I'm interested in Hideki. And then I think Joaquin Neiman and I think John Rahm. I'm not paying the price of John Rahm. This is more of a DFS thing for me. And the outright tickets, like he, he's up in the top three everywhere. I do. I think he's number one on DraftKings. I'm not going back to John Rahm, despite me saying course history is weighted very strongly in my model. I just don't like where his game's at. It's not bad by any means. He's still a top 10 player in the world easily, but I just haven't seen it out of him. So I got him ranked right next to a guy like Sam Burns. When I see John Rahm and Sam Burns together, I know something's a little off. So I think John Rahm, Patrick Reed, and maybe Joaquin Neiman are guys that I'm just not going to buy into this week. It seems like I play Neiman every single week. I'm just not going to do it this week because he's just not as high as I'd like him to be this week, price-wise. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, my model loves Rom. I like we discuss this every single week, and he's number one for me on upside. He's number one in overall rank. He's fifth in safety, which, I mean, I guess that kind of is based off of what he's been doing lately. I, I I'd like to think that he's going to turn it on and win one of these weeks when it all comes together. But I don't really have a natural fade. Like, as much as I'd like to say that, like, there's people, like maybe I don't like if we're just talking. DraftKings cash games or something like maybe I don't like Bryson or I don't like Justin Thomas or I don't like Patrick Cantlay but all three of those guys I kind of like from a GPP sense with that so you know it's the it's the counter argument to make where it's like I don't really have a natural fade like if like if I'm gonna make a GPP lineup Bryson's ceiling's as high as anybody Thomas's when he's on is as high as anybody and I I do believe Cantlay's turning it around I think his last result that we've seen from him is an encouraging one um, so like, I don't want to say to fade any of those guys. And like, when I roll down my, sp- or I scroll down my spreadsheet with it, like there's just really nobody that's that far off. Like, yeah, I have minor incongruities in pricing, I guess, but it's very minimal. Like I'd have to get down to, I I, mean, I don't even know. I guess I'd have to go down to Sam Burns as the first guy that's really kind of mispriced for me. And my model just doesn't seem to ever like Sam Burns. So but with that being said, he's a 6% owned golfer. Like, I'm not going to blame anybody who wants to take a shot in GPPs on him. So, I don't know. I don't really have anybody that, like, it's jumping off the page for me that I'm looking to take on. Well, that's kind of how, I, like, I, I had a, just a tough time kind of pricing this tournament out. I think it's going to be fun. And I think we're going to have multiple people in contention on Sunday. At least that's what I'm hoping for because that will make it for a fun day of TV. Um, top 40. I will get right into it. I only have a few. So my first one, kind of a chalk pick, but that's my guy, Louis Oosthuizen. I have him priced at minus 250. DraftKings has him priced at minus 335 in the top 40 market. And points bet is laying a buck 25. So I got a significant value on points bet. I'm going to take it because those safe ones have just been pretty good for me. And I'm going to keep riding Louis because he's playing some of the best golf of his life. Next guy, I already touched on him a little bit. Sam Burns, I have him priced at minus 160. Pretty much the market's everywhere, like minus 115. DK has meant even money. This will be a very small bet for me because I don't have much upside in it. So I think I'd rather go to Sam Burns and like DFS and just play in the even money, take it on top 40 market. But he did check that box for me. So interested to hear your thoughts on him when we get there. Uh, Doug Gim, I think you touched a little bit on him last week. I know Sia did, and Joel talked about Doug Gim. Finally, like he was priced down and no one was on him, and he finally had a good week. But this seems like a course that sets up well for him if he found his irons last week. He is plus 190 on points bet. I have him priced at plus 120, so about 70 points of value there. I will ride Doug Gim. 
And then Aaron Wise, my model, absolutely love this guy. I don't necessarily agree. Like, I'm just not an Aaron Wise guy, but I have him priced significantly better than what the books have right now. I think my price was plus 115. Points bet and FanDuel have him at plus 190. DraftKings at plus 130. And then the one of the last ones, Kyle Stanley. A really good iron player. My model always loves him at iron courses like this or second shot courses like this. Plus 200 on points bet. My price is plus 140. I'm 100% punching a Kyle Stanley ticket. And then the bomb of the week, um, a guy that I don't believe has played here, at least not on the PGA event, is Takumi Kaniya. I probably butchered that name. I'm due for at least one or two name butchers every single week. So you're welcome. I had to get that in there. I got him priced at plus 275. He used to be the number one amateur in the world. I think in 2019 it was, and then he went pro. He is 81st in the official world golf rankings, and he is not a long hitter. So I don't like to play. I think he missed a cut at the PGA Championship. Again, he's not a long hitter. That course kind of killed anybody that wasn't besides Kevin Streelman, which we had on this show. So pat on our back. But I got him priced at plus 275. FanDuel has him at plus 440. That was the best price in the legal market that I could find, in Illinois at least. So Takumi, Kenya, Kenya, I, I, shit, I don't know, whatever. But you guys get it. So thoughts on Louis Ustazen, Sam Burns, Doug Gim, Aaron Wise, Kyle Stanley, and Takumi, Kenya as the bomb of the week, which I believe is three for three, the last uh, three shows. So we got to stay hot, but I don't necessarily like that one as much. Just a really good iron player. And not a far hitter, but I think he can manage his way around this course. Well, Takumi can. I think it's Kanaya. I might be wrong. Also, that That's sounds not- a lot more realistic than can. Like it just sounds like I just I'm sounding it out or some shit. It, it does not sound good. <laughs> well, I, I'm not 100 percent sure I'm right either. But, I mean, we'll go with mine with it. But I mean, this kind of sounds like Please. shades of Chan Kim to me. Like we may be going back Let's down go. that road with it. So. I don't have anything that's going to be something where your model is more efficient. And uh, like, I I have literally nothing to add. Like I don't, I only have PGA championship numbers from him. And as you said, it's a longer course. Like he's just not going to grade out well for me based off of that with that. So I don't really have anything to go. I I've seen how you do this with Chan Kim. So (laughs) I am not going to be eating you on that, but uh, I guess let's touch with Kyle Stanley first because that's a ticket that I've punched also. And I think you said that he is down to plus 200 at points bet. I will point it out there. He was plus 240 earlier today. So I think that that's probably taken some sharp money at this point. Nice. And I kind of can understand why with it. I still think plus 200 is an absolutely insane steal. Like one of the things with him is he was a late addition to this field, which I just think it's caused various books to misprice him. Like, when we look at him on DraftKings, he's 6,100. I know he's 12.5% projected to be owned there. Like, I don't love that necessarily, but like as a cash game play at 6,100. Free square. Yep, that's a free square. Yeah, like he's a guy that should be priced in the high 6,000s. You could even make an argument that he's like a $7,000 golfer. He has two top sixes here in his last three tries, and we've gotten four top 39s on tour over his previous five starts. So, um, I think plus 200 is just a book making a mistake there. I, I think your numbers that you mentioned on him were much better. Like, I think when we look at safety, he gets a little bit better. Like his upside, like Kyle Stanley, I don't know what his upside actually is. And maybe he goes out and surprises everybody and wins the tournament, but we don't need that out of a top 40 from him. Like we just need him to come inside that range. And I think that that's something he's going to be able to do. 
Um, Aaron Wise is another interesting guy. I didn't punch a ticket on him. There were three guys that I considered. Wise at plus nine, plus 190 was one of them. Your boy Russell Knox at plus 200 was the other. Oh. I don't have a ticket. I mean, the only thing I'll say about Knox is it's a similar mispricing that we're getting with Stanley. Both of those guys were put into the tournament so late. The one big difference would be Knox is so much more volatile than Stanley is. And unfortunately, Nick, like you've gotten the bad end of it every single time you have backed him. Like it has never worked one time. Nope, not once. I'm done. Yeah, and and I get it. And I mean, I think from actually, a- hold on, quick, quick thing. I will take Russell Knox with you if you take a Jason Day out right this week. We could relapse <laughs> together. Oh, I mean, the thing is, I probably already have a Jason Day outright. <laughs> I was uh, say, I we haven't got to outrights yet. I, I don't know if I want to admit that to the world, but uh, we can be in discussion with that. I mean, Knox seems to be your guy that you have a bad addiction to. Day is the guy that I bet at all costs, and I don't really care who knows about it. But uh, we'll discuss that. And then the third guy that at least was on my short list was Matt Kuchar, plus 130. He has great course history. His game's been turning in the right direction. I don't know if I'm going to get there on him. Um, but it was just worth noting with Aaron Wise on that. Doug Gim is a guy that my model loves every single week I run it. The only concern I have with him, he's in the top 40 for me in my overall rank. He's 16th from an upside perspective. That kind of shows what kind of a player he is when it hits. He's 51st for me in safety. That would be my one concern that I have from him. I, I do think at plus uh, 190, you can take a shot on him because I do think the upside's so great. I mean, the problem is with it is if you play him into the top 40, you're probably even fine playing him into the top 30 or 20. Like he either probably misses the cut or he's going to give you like a really good result with it. So that would be my thought if I was going to take a shot with him. Um, Burns is another guy that got better with safety. Like I know I touched on him in my model saying that I'm a little bit lower on him, but I'm lower to like the extent to where, you know, he's barely a top 25 golfer, but you know, at plus a hundred, like, I mean, you're, that's pretty much where my, I kind of have it spot on, but to what, to that being the correct, you know, value price for where he should be for me. But I can understand that if you're a little bit higher on him than I am, that it would make sense. Like he wins the Byron Nelson. He comes first at the Valspar. I would say his withdrawal at the PGA championship scares me. This is his first start since then. If you're going to pull out of a major, something has to be wrong there. Uh, So I would be a little cautious based off of that. And then I really like your call on Ustase, and he wasn't a guy that I had punched a ticket on. I might have to join you on that. He's top 10 for me pretty much however I ran my model, and his form has just been really good lately. Like, I don't have anything negative to say about him. Like, that's why I think DraftKings made such, like, the right price. Like, minus 335, no one in their right mind would touch it. Maybe Louie's mom or something like that just to have a ticket on Louie if the only sports book she had is DraftKings. But minus 125 of points bet just seems like a – like I'll I'll eat that juice. I usually don't like to go below minus like one ten. I think that's what I took when I went high on um shit. Who am I thinking of? The uh Paul Casey. Yeah. Um at the PJ championship. I just thought that was, you know, he graded out like you just said, top ten in every single way I ran the model. Louis is grading top seven for me every single way that I run it. So again, I just think like I trust my model enough on the top guys for for sure that and Louie again it's more of a form thing the guy's just playing outrageous and his iron play is the best it's ever been for him it's great off the tee putting well like just just ride it yeah and I don't like I'm not one that typically loves paying paying the juice on it and that's probably why he wasn't on my initial list like a lot of these guys like you said I don't really go much more than like plus 100 with it but 
I agree. Like he's a guy that's like grading out. Like he should be a minus 200 golfer in this field. And the thing I love about him is, is he grades in the top 10 for me every way I run it, but he gets better when I grade it for safety. Like that's something I'm looking for because it's one thing if like these guys are going to grade in the top 10, but then you look at in the guy, you know, from safety perspective, like if he came 27th in my model, we'll just throw out a random number with it. Like all of a sudden it's like, you're, you're taking a more volatile golfer. Like, Louie doesn't do any of that. Like he's a guy where, you know, he doesn't seem to win tournaments. He has his one win at the major championship and the PGA tour. But once again, you don't need that if you're going to bet him in the top 40. So um, I I have a big price difference too. I mean, it always scares me laying the juice with it, but that's why you make a model with it. And if like, there's a huge discrepancy with it, those can turn into the best bets of the week because you can get a little bit more money down on the bet and kind of take advantage of a soft price. If you think it should be like double that. Agreed. Um, any other top 40s that you're looking at or matchups? Uh, so my biggest win total was the Stanley one, I believe. Uh, I, lo- I love that you're on that too. Let's just let's go lock that one in. Yeah, that that's probably my favorite one. I just think that that's a wrong price. I'm playing Lucas Glover for small at plus 160. Uh, that can be found at FanDuel or PointsBet. Like for me, smaller is probably four tenths of a unit. I, you know, most of these guys like that are smaller are three tenths or four tenths of a unit. And then the bigger ones, I'll play a half unit to if I, if I bomb one, it'll be for a unit with it, but probably about four tenths of a unit there. You know, he's inside the top 52 here in his last five tries. Now, granted, he hasn't really given you much better than that, which means a lot of those aren't actually cashing for you, but four top forties in his last, last six starts. And he jumps nearly 70 spots in my model on fast bent grass greens versus all other surfaces. I don't mind if you even want to play it a little bit smaller. Like the edge isn't that big with it, but it was big enough for me to be willing to take a shot with it. Um, Same, another guy that I'm going to play for a little bit smaller, but he's a guy that we've had success with on this show. And that would be Alex Norin. Uh, I took him at plus 210 on points bet. He's plus 125 on DraftKings, plus 185 on FanDuel. So you have a big discrepancy there between points bet and DraftKings. Another guy that gets better when you look at safety with it. He has three top 25 finishes in his last four, and he ranks 22nd around the green, 12th on fast greens, and 28th in sand percentage in my model. So I think it's just a guy that he's going to be around. He's going to probably make a cut. I would anticipate he comes somewhere between 25th to 50th place. And, you know, unfortunately, if he comes outside of that 40 range, you're going to lose, and you, you may get some dead heat numbers in there. But I think at plus 210, it makes sense uh, to at least put a little small wager on him. I also have a small wager on CT Pan at plus two ten. That's your boy. That I, I mean, I've kind of been, yeah, I've been looking at him with you mentioning him lately. Um, you know, I'm once again another guy. I'm not playing for big, but he's been competitive in at Mirfield. Like he's at least around the top forty market, and he's solid with his mid iron. So I'll be playing that small. And then my bomb of the week, which isn't as big of a bomb as Takumi Kanaya would be for you, but. Uh, Camilo Vajegas plus 335 on DraftKings. He's plus 310 on FanDuel, plus 300 on points bet. This is kind of just a shot in the dark, if I'm being honest with it. Um, I would probably assume in your model, he probably grades negative for a lot of ways if you're looking at it, but he jumped for safety with me and he's still outside the top 40 range. He's 55th for me. I have him more as a guy that should be in that, like, you know, plus 200 ish range with it. But, you know, He's a climber for me when I look at overall rank versus safety. 
my model has them projected as a very slight cut maker with it. So if he can make a cut, anything can happen. And the 69th in his last start, I think, is why we're getting this number. But he had three top 25s before that. And I'm kind of just hoping he can catch, like, strike lightning in the bottle with this and kind of turn back the clocks a little bit for his game. So, um, yeah, I don't even mind, like, playing it for a half a unit with it just because I think plus 335 is, like, 100 points off from where it should be. But even still, you don't need to play it for that much. I mean, you could play it for whatever your minimum type of a unit is on these top 40s and get the same out of it. And um, as I mentioned, Knox, Kucher, and Wise were the three that I have not punched a ticket on yet, but they're at least in consideration for me. No, and Kucher, I think, what is he? If you go to like datagolf.com, I think he's second overall course handicap or uh, course history index. So loves this place, apparently. And we talked about course history a little bit earlier, but what um, you were talking about Cam Vajegas. Uh Yeah, I have him pretty damn high, actually. My model does not hate him, so I'm going to ride that for sure at plus 335, especially like you said, if it's 100 points off on a proper price, let's get after that. Yeah, it's always just, I mean, you can take shots in those opportunities when like 100 points is a lot. And like those kind of things make your year when you find differences like that. And it doesn't mean he's a favorite. Like don't go make a huge wager on it. Like he's, you know, a slight favorite to make the cut. Like he still like is going to miss the cut, you know, 40 to 45% of the time. But if he makes a cut and, you know, he's able to give some of that upside that we've seen recently, there's enough I like about him that I'm willing to take a shot with him. And as far as Kucher is concerned, just to touch back on that, like, yeah, if we look at what he's done here just over the last five years, he has two top four finishes in 2016, 2017, a 13th in 2018. He missed the cut in 2019, but a 32nd in 2020. And, you know, his game got bad there for a while, but it's turning around. Like he has a bunch of top 20 finishes over his last seven tournaments. So I think he's a guy that at plus 130, you know, like you can take a shot with him. It's just, he's a guy that's going to be safer than usual, like than guys. So if I'm going to take a shot in the plus 130 range, which is still kind of small, like I'd like to do it with the guy that's a little safer. And it's kind of the Noren thing to where Noren's price is better at plus 210, but Kucher probably gives you a little bit more of that upside there that he can give you a little bit of a higher finish and get rid of some of those dead heat problems. Agreed. 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 Outright. I have three, and I don't really like any of them besides Louie. Uh, I got Jordan Spieth, 16 to 1. I think the best price I found was on DraftKings. Uh, Louie is 41 to 1 on FanDuel right now, 20 to 1 on DraftKings. I have don't know if I've personally seen that big of a discrepancy for like a top tier or mid to top tier golfer like we see in Louie Oosthuizen all year with these books, like twice the price, even more than twice the price. Um, so I'm just taking that for that reason. And it's Louie. Why not? And then Sunjay M, I think 66 to one on DK was the best price. I, I don't know. I just can't quit betting Sunjay M outright just because I think his upside is so high. We haven't seen it all year, but 66 to one, I had him priced at like 48 to one. So I just saw a lot of value there. And that was pretty much like the only value I found on the board. Unless I'm getting into like a hundred to one, but I told myself this is a tournament. I, I agreed with you earlier. I think it's a top, top type uh top tier golfer type of tournament and i'm just not gonna fool around with the 100 to one and just maybe see what happens if we get a couple runners late maybe i'll just bet live on saturday and sunday and find my exposure that way yeah i i don't have an outright punched at this point and, that, and kind of what you just said like my goal with it is i'm probably gonna attack this live 
the top of the board looks very strong. It, you know, there's such minute differences for me between a guy like Raw, Morikawa, Xander, Hovland, Speed, like all those. I mean, even if we go lower than that, like even if we touch it on a guy like Bryson, like the difference there isn't even that much from like these, you know, from a ROM for me. So um, if I'm looking at where values are on the board, it's crazy to say Rom is technically a value for me. He's a technically a value for me every single week. And it never seems to come to fruition to where that matters. You know, the problem is, is you kind of have this like condensed zone here where Morikawa, depending on where you're getting the price is 17 to one Xander, you know, 20, 22 to one Hovland, 18 speed, 16 um, Bryson, 14 or whatever number you're actually able to get. Like, any of those guys can win the tournament. And I don't know if I necessarily want to dart throw it because I do think that any of those guys can win. And that's not like, I don't want to end up putting, you know, a unit and a half in play trying to pick three of these guys. And I picked the wrong three when Hovland wins the tournament or something with it. Uh, if I was to throw a random dart throw down the board and you maybe convinced me to go down this route with you, Sungjae was a guy that graded out as a positive value. I agree with you that if you're going to throw like a random shot, at least Sungjae has proven he has the upside to win it. And it's a big enough number to take a shot on him. Louis' downside is he doesn't seem to win these tournaments. I agree that he's grading out really well for me. And um, I've mentioned this on the show before, like our first interaction we ever had was with Louis and your model was all over him and you were correct and I was wrong with it. And you seem to be on with Louis, like when you pick him, like you're the Louis whisper at the end of the day with it. And for my model to like him as much as it did, I thought it was an intriguing thing with it. Like my model never has him in the top 10. Like I, I remember when we had the conversation, like he was your biggest like discrepancy on the board. I, I think he was in your top 10 and like, he was like outside the top 70 for me. So for Louis to be that high, I think there's something to be said about that. And then Spieth, like, I'm not going to argue it. Like, as I said earlier in the show, if he turns it on at some point, he could run off a couple of these in a row. I just kind of like for like the problem is, is like it keeps burning me. I kind of like Xander more. I kind of like Morikawa more. Like if I was forced to jump into this range, I would probably go to Morikawa or maybe I'd, maybe I'd even go all the way up to Rom, I guess. Like and I don't want to do that is the problem. Like, I feel like, you know, if I'm saving units down the board and if Sungjae is the only ticket I have, I'm technically going to have over a unit in play to put into play at some point. And I don't need to bet it to win as much. Even exactly. if I, yeah, I mean, like, even if like a guy like Rom, we could be looking on this on like a Saturday afternoon where he's in contention and he's five to one. And if I've saved all my units up, rather than betting him pre-tournament, I could take all the units I was going to bet beforehand, just put them on him there. And I'm in the same exact spot now. I don't have as many runners necessarily as I might, but if the board is this jumbled up together, like I don't mind betting this in tournament and just trying to find a runner that way. Honestly, like we're here for picks, but I think that advice is just so, so useful, especially in tournaments. Like you can't just force an edge. If you don't have one, just kind of, you know, wait back, find your spot, take a hit then. But no, I, I greatly appreciate it, man. Great show. I'm going to jump all over that Louis 41 to one. I think that's my favorite play of the week. It's the biggest outright ticket I've punched. Again, I don't know if I expect him to win, but I have him ranked fifth overall. And just that weird 20 point difference from DraftKings to FanDuel. You just never see that for elite style golfers like that. So that that was the only storyline I needed. And then Louis recent form, obviously. But um, any other closing thoughts? 
No, you probably convinced me. Like, I will jump in with you at least with a Louis top 40 ticket. I'll get my exposure that way. We'll text after this show and uh, we'll discuss our little Knox Day conversation to see if maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll see where we want to go with that with it. But uh, no, not not really. I think like it's a very astute point that you mentioned. Like we're here to give picks, but we're also not here to give like negative EV plays. Like if it doesn't grade out, it doesn't grade out. And I don't want to give out plays to anybody or, or leans that I have if they're very small or not no edge at all, because, you know, the units add up. And at the end of the day, if you can save some units because you didn't make a poor play in the long term of things, like that is as good as a win in a lot of senses with it. Yeah. There's golf every single weekend. You you'll find a week to take your shot. Yeah, and you're not forced, like that's the edge that we have here is you're not forced to bet everything. We can hand pick what we want to do. So find top forties you like. I don't have any head to heads this week. Like I just thought the market was really good, but you know. Put your money in the head-to-heads. Put your money in the top 40s. Like, there's other ways to do it. There's always going to be some sort of an edge you're going to be able to find. How did you take Takumi's last name again? I believe it's Kanaya. We'll go with Kanaya. that. That sounds so much better. Yeah, so happy week of Takumi Kanaya. That just flows off the tongue so much better. Like, it's not Kanaya. That's, <laughs> that's terrible. All right, but I greatly appreciate your time, man. Uh, you can find Spencer on Twitter at Tof Sports. You can find me at Sticks S T I X P I C K S. And uh, yeah, good luck to everybody, Spencer. Thanks again, man. Great show. Kanaya Chan Kim 2.0. Let's go.